Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we visit the cool world of cryonics. I spoke with Matt Fisher, who wants to live as long as medically possible. But first up, here's the news. Freeze, wait, reanimate. The Southern Cryonics Group have gained all the necessary legal approvals from the state and local council authorities to start building a facility to freeze and store people in the country town of Holbrook on the Hume Highway, just inside the border where New South Wales becomes Victoria, in hopes of resuscitating them when medical technology allows. Holbrook's biggest tourist draw is an old Australian military submarine that people can climb inside. Southern Cryonics Secretary Matt Fisher estimates that once the facility is running this year, it will cost people around $80,000 to have themselves frozen and stored until they can be resuscitated. Most people take out a life assurance policy that they contribute to every week, which then pays this full amount to the Cryonics facility when they die. The facility will have the capacity to store 40 bodies in 10 specialised stainless steel vessels. The Holbrook site was chosen because it's zoned for cemetery and mortuary use, in a location with a low risk of flood, earthquake and bushfires. It had to be near a major highway, which is a route for regular deliveries of liquid nitrogen. In this case, the Hume Highway. Around the world, despite the decades since Robert Ettinger first wrote about freezing people for later resuscitation in his 1962 book, The Prospect of Immortality, there are only a few hundred people frozen in the US and Russia, waiting for the time when thawing and healing them will be possible. The Southern Cryonics facility will include offices and a warehouse to cool and store the bodies. The bodies will be stored in large vacuum flasks made of stainless steel, filled with liquid nitrogen. Once the facility is running for people who've signed up, when their time comes, the patient is put in an ice bath and medications are given to prevent blood clotting. Bodies are brought down to dry ice temperature of minus 78.5 degrees Celsius. Once they get to the facility in Holbrook, Southern Cryonics will take over and bring that down further to the temperature of liquid nitrogen at minus 196 degrees Celsius where they undergo a process called vitrification, which prevents ice crystals from forming that would otherwise damage their cells. Southern Cryonics has changed its name from Stasis Systems as a way of being more clear about the purpose and intention of the organisation. While nobody has yet been frozen and revived, there have been some significant developments in recent years. As reported on Diffusion, in 2016, the University of Maryland's R. Adams Cowley Shock Trauma Centre started cooling gunshot victims from a normal body temperature of 37 degrees Celsius right on down to 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Cooling them down to icy temperatures slows their metabolism enough to give surgeons hours to operate and stop them bleeding 
instead of minutes. People who previously would have bled to death quickly were saved. It took 12 years for the results of the experiments on chilling and reviving pigs to get through institutional inertia and finally be used to save human lives. But it happened, and it's working extremely well. Hopefully, more hospitals will start using the procedure. In 2014, a team from the University of Marine Science and Technology in Tokyo revived leeches that they'd frozen in liquid nitrogen for up to nine months without any special preparation. The leeches could be rapidly frozen in liquid nitrogen and rapidly thawed without injury. The leeches could be revived after five years frozen at minus 90 degrees dry ice temperatures. The leeches never encounter freezing temperatures in their natural environment. In 2016, a rabbit's brain was frozen to liquid nitrogen temperatures and then thawed without any detectable damage by a team from 21st century medicine, led by Robert McIntyre. They filled the vascular system of the rabbit brain with chemicals that prevent decay and allow it to be cooled down to minus 100 degrees Celsius, or minus 211 degrees Fahrenheit. When thawed, the brain was found to have all of its synapses, cell membranes and intracellular structures intact. The team are next freezing a pig's brain. An open letter supporting the science of cryonics has been signed by 69 researchers from institutions including MIT, Harvard, NASA and Cambridge University. The letter reads... To whom it may concern, cryonics is a legitimate science-based endeavour that seeks to preserve human beings, especially the human brain, by the best technology available. Future technologies for resuscitation can be envisioned that involve molecular repair by nanomedicine, highly advanced computation, detailed control of cell growth and tissue regeneration. With a view towards these developments, there is a credible possibility that cryonics performed under the best conditions achievable today can preserve sufficient neurological information to permit eventual restoration of a person to full health. The rights of people who choose cryonics are important and should be respected. Sincerely, 69 Signatories. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Matt Fisher, Secretary of Southern Cryonics, has been talking to the Australian media about the new facility being built at Holbrook. So I thought this would be a good time to replay my interview with Matt, first recorded in 2012. Matt wants to be carefully frozen when he dies so that doctors in the future can resuscitate and cure him. What is the difference between cryogenics and cryonics? Well, cryogenics is the study of basically physics at very low temperatures, well below freezing. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff that happens down there, like superconducting electricity and that sort of thing. Whereas cryonics is using cryogenic temperatures to store people immediately following their death in the hope that they will be preserved and maybe revived sometime in future when we have better medical technology. This started back in the 70s with Robert Ettinger? Uh, yes, that's right. He's known as the father of cryonics and he's actually deanimated just last week, I think it was now. He was 92 years old and yeah, now he himself has been cryonically preserved. 
When you say chronically preserved, are we talking about liquid nitrogen temperatures? How cold are these people? Yeah, it's uh, liquid nitrogen temperatures at the moment, which is, I think, minus 196 degrees Celsius. What's basically done is immediately following someone being pronounced dead, and cryonicists believe that this doesn't necessarily mean that they're irretrievably dead. It just means that for legal purposes, uh, they are... They can't be revived. Yes, certainly not by current medical technology. So what the procedure then is to wash out the blood and perfuse the body with some what are called cryoprotectants, which are uh, liquids that prevent ice crystals forming as the body is brought lower and lower in temperature until it vitrifies, which is different from freezing. Because vitrification means that basically all movement just stops and the entire body becomes a glass-like substance. And there are no ice crystals forming that would puncture cells and cause strong gradients and that sort of thing, which can do damage to the body. Uh, and the temperature is, is continually lowered in a uh, by a controlled application of liquid nitrogen. They're not actually suspended in a liquid nitrogen bath at that point. They're, they're sort of held above it in the vapour and the temperature is lowered over a period of days until they eventually can be lowered into the liquid nitrogen itself in what are called cryostats or duars, which are basically large, well-insulated containers. And then essentially there is no more metabolic or chemical activity detectable within the body from that point on. And how much does it cost per year to maintain someone in that state? The ongoing costs are for basically the storage space and administration and the, the boil-off of the liquid nitrogen, which is what keeps them at the low temperature, obviously. Uh, it's only a couple of hundred dollars a year, basically. So the way it's normally funded is by an amount of money around $30,000 for the Cryonics Institute, for instance, that it's put in trust at the time of the animation, and then the interest from that goes pay the ongoing storage costs. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with the prospects of immortality, basically the slogan I'd heard was freeze, wait, reanimate. Is that a good summary? <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, but that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's good. Essentially, the motive behind it is that with the ongoing progress in medical technology, it's reasonably predictable that sometime within the next few decades or 100 years or some not unforeseeable period that we will have the technology to repair not only whatever diseases or conditions that people have and die of, but the damage that gets caused to the body in the freezing process and the thawing process. So from a cryonicist perspective, what they're doing is essentially putting themselves into an induced coma until a cure for whatever ails them is found. So this relies, I guess, on faith in continuing medical progress and faith in social stability that there'll still be people maintaining everything every year. Personally, I don't like the word faith, but it, <laughs> it takes a certain amount of belief. Yes, but it's a well-founded belief. If you look at the scientific, not the scientific necessarily, but the, the technological trends that have been remarkably steady over the last few decades, then the amount of control we have over our own bodies is increasing rapidly, especially with the sequencing of the genome and the new, relatively new fields of, of biotechnology and eventually nanotech, the killer. It's not quite the killer. It's the <laughs> <laughs> Almost the wrong word, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Basically, if we don't come up with the, the cures that we're looking for before we eventually 
develop nanotechnology, then nanotechnology and some very powerful artificial intelligence guiding it will be able to do everything that we want to do, cure cancer and, and you know repair all the damage to the body that we want. But there's a fairly well-founded reason for believing that we'll get there eventually. And it doesn't really matter how long it takes because once you're in cryogenic storage, then you're completely unconscious and you know all the, the time that you spend suspended will, to you, pass by in the same way that surgery passes by when you're under general anaesthetic. You might lose, you know, half hour of your short-term memory before you're suspended and be a bit groggy when you wake up, but that's about the worst you can expect. Let me lay this out for the listeners who haven't quite got the full picture here. Basically, we're saying you're dying of something that medical science can't currently cure. So you're certainly going to die really soon. So just before you die, you go through a chronic suspension that legally kills you. And then you are brought down to vitrification temperatures around liquid nitrogen. And then you're stored for a couple of hundred dollars a year until such time that medical science can revive you and cure whatever was killing you in the first place. That sums it up, except that chronic suspension is not currently performed before legal death. It has to be after the patient has been pronounced dead by a competent medical doctor, because otherwise it would be considered a form of euthanasia or suicide or that sort of legal grey area, which coronavirus really don't want to get into, at least until the practice is well established. The patients, however, would argue that it is absolutely not a form of euthanasia or suicide. They would argue it is a heroic medical procedure, you know, the last chance that they've got to save themselves, essentially. They undertake it because they want to live, not because they want to die. So about how many people are in chronic suspension around the world? Uh, Just over 200 at the moment. There's uh, two companies in the United States, one called the Cryonics Institute and one called Alcor. Cryonics Institute has 106, including Dr. Edinger, and Alcor has 105. There's also one small organisation in Russia called CryoRus, who I think have maybe one or two suspensions so far. And Australia, what do we have? We have a, a support group called the Cryonics Association of Australasia, which is a group of people who are dedicated to helping the members of the United States organisations, people who have signed up to be suspended with Cryonics Institute or Alcor, to carry out the necessary preparations both before and after they actually deanimate, because there's a lot of logistic hassle that goes in to having your recently deanimated body cooled and, and shipped to the United States in terms of customs and probate, and your family will be very emotional at the time, so they will need all the help they can get. So up until now, that has been our resources in Australia. But there's actually a number of cryonicists in Australia now who are trying to set up a new cryonic storage facility here in Australia called Stasis Systems. And I'm quite keen on that, and I'm one of the initial investors myself. So for Stasis Systems to work, is it would it be state law that regards how to deal with, with basically what the law would regard as dead bodies? Yes, the founders are talking closely with the New South Wales Health Department at the moment to try and work out all the facets of of how it should be done. Legally, the organisation would be treated as a cemetery, but the the laws vary state to state, so it depends on where the, the facility ends up being set up as to what legal implications there are. I think it's going to be really interesting legally because let's assume for the moment that stasis is completely set up and the government's happy with it doing what it needs to do. And people sign up and eventually people get vitrified and wait in stasis. 
I can imagine if the government's got stasis set up as a cemetery, then they're happy with that. They understand it. You're happy with the fact that that's not exactly what's going on. It's really a more of a, a type of a hospital in a way because you're mm. storing patients awaiting resuscitation. Yep. And that's the modern word that people should use rather like the, the, than some sort of um, resurrection because <laughs> we bring people back to life from the brink of death all the time now. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting. The medical definition of death is the irreversible cessation of all vital functions, especially as indicated by permanent stoppage of the heart, respiration and brain activity. And all the definitions include irreversible or permanent in them somewhere. And you can't say for sure whether anything is irreversible or permanent. Unless you burn the body or bury it to decay. Correct. And, and that's the ultimate measure of death, which is called information theoretic death, where all the information that was encoded in your brain, everything that made you who you are, is irretrievably destroyed. Now, that's basically currently your only option if you don't get yourself suspended. Whereas if you're cryonically suspended, then you have some chance of being revived sometime in the future. So even if that chance is small and it very much depends on who you talk to as to whether someone thinks it's almost certain to work or almost impossible. But if you agree that there is some chance that it will work, then it's a better bet than being cremated or being buried. Absolutely, it's a better bet. I mean, anything above zero is a better bet if you want to live. But the thing I'm heading towards is the state government treats stasis as a cemetery. Medical science progresses until they can resuscitate people and cure them then people are going to need to be legally be. defined as no longer dead. And um, yes, yes, we're certainly going to have to deal with, with those sort of situations where people who, where society presumed to be dead, reappear and start asserting their rights to previous marriages, for example. If, if your spouse is still alive and you're reanimated, then are you still married? And property. property. I mean, property is yep. probably what the law is going to care about. If you come back in 20 years, for example, say it takes 20 years Mm. and someone's vitrified this year, 20 years time they're revived. The government and society have happily ignored stasis as a cemetery all this time as maybe they they didn't think highly or they joined you or or whatever happened. They didn't pay a lot of attention generally. Mm. People start being revived and they say, right, I want my bank account. I want my property or I wouldn't even, I want to open a bank account. I want legal rights under the law. It's going to be interesting because the law doesn't have any precedence. The law at the moment will treat them as dead once they're interred in stasis. Mm. And it's going to be interesting. You can't necessarily get it back if you've given it away 20 years ago, but they should at least have legal rights. Basic human rights should be there, surely. Oh, I'd absolutely agree with you there. I think the closest you'd come to a precedent at the moment is people who have been lost at sea in seven years or however long it is and then reappeared. I haven't met any of those people or, or heard their stories. They don't know stories. what's happened. I don't really know what okay, happened. Okay, that's to one to like look that. up. I think the Chronics movement needs to put that up as its test case that's already been there and say, look, this is what happens when people disappear for long periods of time and then come back. Mm. People who are presumed dead returning, basically. So this is what it should be. And I think that might be a precedent because... Property certainly gets transferred, people get remarried, all those things. You might not be able to get your marriage back, but you should be able to be entitled to some share of the property. Yeah, you would think so. Cronuses definitely pay a lot of attention to what they put in their wills and what they put in their contracts with the Cronics organisations. So you can 
For example, there are some legal jurisdictions in which you can set up perpetual trusts, like in Liechtenstein, I think, where you can essentially put your money in a bank account in Liechtenstein and then be declared legally dead and it will still wait there for you until you claim it, however long that is. Okay, so there's offshore mechanisms if Australia doesn't catch up in time. When you are revived, I would hope that society will have enough decency I guess would be the word to recognise that you are you you could at the worst be treated as a refugee, and you know refugees are deported. <laughs> no, not the genuine refugees. Uh, but we're not going to test their genuineness. We're just deporting them. That's Australia. True, but as long as you don't arrive on a boat, then you should be fine. I don't know if people are queasy about people who weren't born here, who are refugees. How are they going to feel about people coming back from the dead? If it's their grandparents that are coming back from the dead or their parents that are coming back from the dead, then I think they'd be reasonably accepting. If the people that are coming back as refugees lived their entire lives here as Australian citizens, then I don't think there can be too many complaints. One last thing on that is Ettinger himself, of course, was married twice and both his wives were also put into chronic stasis. I think he was married three times, actually. Oh, really? (laughs) Certainly two of his wives are in stasis, and it's going to be a very interesting situation when they are revived. I'd agree with you there. Do you know what animals have been successfully frozen and revived? I know they can do it on a cellular level for things like sperm and egg. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, that's a good point in itself, is that humans, human embryos, that is, are routinely stored at cryogenic temperatures and brought back to life and come to turn into happy, healthy human beings with no ill effects. Now, as far as I know, the largest animal that's been completely vitrified down to liquid nitrogen temperatures are nematode worms. Now, they've successfully vitrified, thawed, and implanted a kidney in a rabbit, and the kidney as a whole organ structure was like successfully taken up by the rabbit, and it was fine. I believe they've brought dogs down to sub-zero temperatures and successfully revived them, but not down to the liquid nitrogen temperatures, which are obviously much, much lower. No, oh, it's, a, it's a fascinating area. So it takes about $30,000 once stasis is up and running, do you think? It will be cheaper in Australia or be about the same sort of cost? In the United States, to begin with, the additional hassles from Australia basically take it up to around 50 or so. And I think stasis systems is looking at $60,000 Australian as a starting point. So that's to store the bodies here? Correct. We're not sure where the facility will be built exactly at the moment. We're looking at somewhere in regional New South Wales. Somewhere cold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, somewhere stable. Somewhere stable, absolutely. No earthquakes would be fantastic. Very true. We'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) So it seems to me that vitrification, storing people in at liquid nitrogen temperatures, for a few hundred a year, you could almost... That's really not that much of, of a cost if you really think there's a chance, any chance, of bringing someone back. While you might not be thinking about it immediately for yourself, maybe if you've got elderly relatives, it might be more relevant right now. Yeah, absolutely. Most people pay for it with life insurance, which makes it a much more manageable amount because it's only a a few hundred dollars a year now rather than a a big hit when someone's recently deceased. It's another good name for it as well. Life insurance. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I'm actively trying to convince my parents to sign up for it because basically I expect to live a very long time thanks to the benefits of medical technology. And if I had the chance to bring my parents with me 
and didn't take it, then I expect I'd be kicking myself for a very long time. And I really don't want don't want that to be the case. I want everyone I care about to come with me into the future. And a $50,000 life assurance policy isn't really at the high end, is it? No, no, that, that's almost the minimum that uh, life insurance comes in. I mean, you could almost do it with a funeral cover plan rather than life insurance even. So there you go, a Father's Day or a Mother's Day gift, a gift of life. Well, I I think if it comes to the choice of an inheritance of, say, $50,000 and still having my parents around, then I would definitely pick still having my parents around. One of these life assurance policies that would pay definitely for you either to be stored in Australia or sent to the US to be chronically preserved, how much would it cost per month? Well... For a $100,000 policy, which is about the minimum that uh, life insurance companies offer for a healthy person in their 30s at the moment, it's around about $30 a month. $30 a month to save your parents? $30 a month for immortality. A small price to pay. Absolutely. Matt Fisher, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You can find Southern Cryonics online at www.southerncryonics.com. A big thank you to Andrew from Melbourne for his monthly donation. I've entered Diffusion in the new Castaway Podcast Awards. Please vote for Diffusion by going to www.diffusionradio.com and following the link on the upper right. Voting closes on the 21st of March, 2017. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Go to the website and click on the tab to the right to send a voicemail to be played on air or use a voice memo on your phone and email it to me. Send your contributions, emails, opinions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Support the show at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including two RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, eight C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, two MVR in Nambucca Valley, and three MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on DiffusionRadio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. <laughs>